do it's analytical fanboys back again with another episode i am the vacuuminator and i am joined as always by my tyrannical co-host boingo rider uh radical rex indeed today we're doing a follow-up to an episode that happened a little bit ago we're talking about the second volume of Brian K. Vaughn's saga. Um, Chris, this is your first time reading this material. It's about my third or fourth. Um, so why don't you lead us in your thoughts on this volume? Because I'm assuming anyone who's listening to this has already read it or has at least listened to our episode on the first one. Well, it kind of it picks up right off where it left off because, hey... In real time, that only lasted about a month between episodes six, uh, issue six and seven. Uh, <laughs> they're on the ship, and hey, the in-laws have just came about, and boy, are one of them racist. Yep. Um, and so there's some shenanigans with that, with the mom going like, "How could you fucking make an abomination like this?" And he's going like, "That's that's my fucking kid, ma. That's my baby. Don't insult my baby." Um, and they go on a little wacky adventure on an egg, uh, all the while on the ship, uh, the grandpa-in-law basically goes, hey, so I'm about to die, and I care more about the fact that this is my grandchild than the fact that you are from a species that has been trying to kill us for generations, uh, so I'm just gonna make some dope-ass clothes for you guys, because hey, you need it. And uh, give you pressing information by using magic and saying, hey, uh, I'm going to die soon. Also, fuck tons of backstory and character building. Oh, for everybody. They, we go more into uh, the main male character's background. We see some more of uh, the... The, the Will. Uh, the Will. Oh, right, right. Bounty Hunter dude. The Will. Um, we, we get see to meet more... a new character that adds to main character dude's backstory, uh, Gwendolyn, um, and we see robot dude come out and investigating and is a damn good investigator because he figures shit out. And we get to see how our two main characters met. And it's a it's a lot of interesting things. There's no direct like here's an arc to the adventure. It's very much like, no, this is just what's going happen happening. And there is something of a climactic arc, but it's more of like that episodic kind of like, Oh no, what's going to happen now where the last one, the last volume we read through was very much more. Nope. This is a genuine climax of things about to happening more, but like, this is a genuine, like, okay, release valve. We can breathe some within the story. The last volume, the first volume is very much an introduction to the world and the characters. This is more getting you used to kind of the format of this book, which is each volume is sort of a theme, um, but it's all a bunch of disparate stuff that sort of fits into and works with that theme. And in this, it's, it's very much about meetings and buildings and the beginnings of things. And it's also very much about, like, a parent's relationship to their child because, again, we meet the in-laws and they're a big part of this little uh, thing of the story. It's very much about, like, oh, I want to leave something for my grandchild and that kind of thing. But it's also, like, we meet 
the author of the book that connected the main characters together and made them go like, you know what? We're not so different, you and I. Um, and he basically goes like, yeah, no, this war wrecked my son so much that he killed himself. This is, uh, and it's very, it's technically a spoiler for future volumes, but you could kind of guess based on this. Uh, the will kind of starts his own family here. Yeah, and he's uh, he's basically adopting uh, the the slave girl who was in a prostitution ring, and all that kind of stuff. And the computer dude, Prince Robot Five, I think it is. No, it's Prince four. Robot Four. Prince Robot Four is basically trying to do his job and is also worrying about like, shit. I'm gonna be a dad soon. I gotta get back home. I gotta be. I'm gonna be a robot dad. I've got PTSD. Oh shit. Uh yeah. Um there's a lot about that kind of stuff and it's very interesting. And it it definitely feels like it's much more of like all right, here's the foundation for things we're going to be diving into more later. Hmm. But we're going to play into them a little bit here so we can start to get a kind of feel our fingers out. Very very much so. Um it's I wouldn't say it's my favorite volume of the series, but it's up there. It's a very, very solid one with a lot of key stuff going on that kind of takes you from, oh, this is interesting. I want to I wanna know more about this, to, oh, this is a legitimately great universe and cast of characters. I want to know where this goes. There's also just a lot of great, like, little tiny elements, because here's the thing. I read all these day of today. Hmm. Same. Uh, Actually, same, because I've been insanely busy the last couple weeks, because uh, we're recording this the day after Christmas. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, uh, yeah, nope, the day after the day after Christmas, because technically it's 12.05 a.m. Fuck. <laughs> you have to get up in six hours. Yeah, I do. Oh, um, man. But um, there's a lot of little great little tiny elements. Like, there's foreshadowing that, hey, maybe the world's going to get a little bit better one day when uh, the narrator, who is the young child all grown up, says, hey, I, 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 uh, I still have a shred of that cloth that Grandpa made for me when I was a baby. I use it as a bookmark. And, like, that feels like something... It feels to me like it's hinting at a more peaceful time. Mm. There's also the uh, the sentiment of they know there's outrage and they don't ever expect to be forgiven, but they think in time they'll be forgotten. Yeah. And there's so, little bits like that. Also, I just want to mention there's a lot of fucking dicks. Oh yeah, this is this is the volume where they go from let's just show weird imagery to um okay, we've established that this is a hard R book now. Let's get some fucking TNA in here. Because like when the robot dude is knocked out for a little bit, he's glitched up. What's on his screen is just fucking gay porn. Mhm. Is that foreshadowing anything? I don't think so, but the the series has resumed from the hiatus it was on when we did our first episode, so I'm a few issues behind now. Because if it was like, oh, by the way, he's latently homosexual and is in the closet hiding it from his wife, is like, okay, that's a weird plot to us because he seemed to genuinely care about her uh, in, in that kind of way. But like, 
I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's unprecedented. Kind of I thing. think it's just like what what to him is fucked up imagery comes on while he's having his PTSD flashback. Yeah, but it was also in the flashback and on his screen and that kind of thing. Also, the giant triclops just letting it all hang out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was one of those moments when I was first reading this where I hadn't quite gotten used to it yet. And I was like, oh, shit, is anyone else in the room? <laughs> um, and then there's also just a straight up sex scene at the start of one issue. A very, oh, yeah. a very plot important sex scene, but a straight up sex scene nonetheless. That I that I would expect to find on like R slash hentai or whatever. Uh, it's basically our two main characters having a fun time, and then the main male character comes in her, and she goes like, "Yo, bro, what the fuck, dude? We can't be doing that shit." And it's like, "Why? You asked me to," and it's like, "I'm fucking crazy when I'm fucking." You can't do that. Don't trust mm-hmm. me. And as the scene goes on, you realize, oh, this is when they conceived their kid. Oh, man. Bunch of, bunch of wild and wacky shit. But it's definitely, it's very interesting because they do a lot of, it feels, it is a lot of setup for this volume for, like, upcoming things. Mm-hmm. But they do enough genuine like little story beats within it that it doesn't feel like oh it's just filler getting us to the point where we can watch uh get to this <sighs> because... yeah there's 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 some legit stuff going on in here like the whole f- the the moment when the lion cat gets sucked out into space and the will has to jump out and save it 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 feels like a really important character moment and we've only had a few issues with those characters so far but uh, it's, it's, it's also one of those moments where um, this is a, a common observation with this book of in a lot of other comics, the Will would be the main character. He would be the hero of the story. And in this, he's one of the antagonists. And here's the thing. On some level, he's still a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Under literary function, he's a protagonist because he has a goal and he's trying to reach it genuinely there's no antagonist there's nobody trying to stop a protagonist trying to reach their goal it's just everybody has their own protagony things going on that they clash yeah and that's that's fascinating and interesting and a really great way to write an ensemble which is what this is yeah i i think that's something we also said during our review of the first volume is that this is less a a story about this couple, and it's more just a story about war and how fucked up that can make good people, people who would be good in any other situation. Right, and it's and it's interesting, but because you also start to see the people doing good in spite of that, like the grandfather who goes like, you know what? Despite everything, my son fell in love with you and made a baby, so. I'm not going to forgive you, but I'm going to accept it for right now because, hey, I'm about to die, and you need clothes. I can't I can't ignore that. And, like, the fucking moment when he's holding Hazel as he's just knocked out, um, fucking what's-her-face, the, uh, the wife, um, I, for, I forget her name for a second there, um, and he's just looking at her and he's going, 
God damn, you have the most amazing eyes ever, and that's a beautiful fucking name. And it's like, that's the moment when you go from, what is this guy's deal, what's he playing, to like, oh, he legitimately is a good guy. Like, yeah. his wife's a racist bitch, but he's a good guy. And, like, you can look in the flashback of the main male character when he first saw War, and you could tell, looking at the mom's face, she was the one who wanted to do this more than the dad. Mm-hmm. The dad just wanted to be like a dad, but she was like, "Nope, he's gonna know the 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 pain of war at a young age." And like they talked about, they said at one point, like he's an armorer, and it's very clear that she cares a lot more about their weapons, which says to me that she fought in the war at one point. So it's it's two very different ideologies. Um, and yet they came together at some point, and it's 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 interesting because there's also little hints all throughout this of like, yeah, we don't exactly love each other anymore, but we t- try to do right by each other, and we try to do right by you as our son. It's a it's a very realistic take on a real relationship. Um, a lot like uh, Marco and Alana. I remember her. I remember their names. Huzzah. Um, <laughs> um, and I also just um, really like the flashbacks to Marco and Alana meeting and falling in love in this um, because it, even though it's this weird sci-fi prison shit it feels so true to life where you see young Alana and she's very very doe-eyed and very um, impressionable looking and she's reading this book which they say a few times, like, what the book is supposed to be like and what it's supposed to be about, and we get a few excerpts. From those excerpts, it just seems like cheesy nonsense to me. But to some people, cheesy nonsense can mean a lot. I mean, just look at me and Power Rangers. Um, and-, and honestly, within the world and the context, the way it's explained, it's like, yeah, no, to hide a message like that, it's easier to do it in cheesy nonsense that can be dismissed. Yeah, um, and just the, the scenes of them connecting are really, really fun. Because you do get that scene later on when she's reading to him and then she decides to escape with him. Um, but then there's also the great subversion of expectations in the first flashback where she just fucking hits him in the face with his butt, with the butt of her rifle and tells him to shut the fuck up. That's, that's so good. And I love that we don't get all of the beats. We don't show how they went from that to reading the book to each other. It's it's just like you're supposed to figure that out and connect the dots in your head. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, art's still really fantastic. Yeah. Um, um, one thing I definitely do want to talk about, and we haven't touched on her much, but I fucking love Gwendolyn's design. I think she has the best character design in the book so far at this point. It's really good. Uh, I also like the fact that she's barefoot. I don't know why. It's not like a. It's not like a fetishy thing. It's just more like, oh, that's a unique character trait that kind of sets her apart in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love her fro. It's a good fro. Yeah, fros are fucking awesome. They do not get enough credit as like one of the top tier hot girl hair designs. Yeah. Natural natural hair in general just needs to be more well-loved and respected thing amongst any race. 
-hmm. Also, she's just like I like how she is a Sundere, yet they don't play it up all the time. Yeah. And then it's all you also see the genuine like heartbreak of like Yeah, he's what the fuck did did my ex-boyfriend do? It's kind of like you can it's wrong kind of betrayal, but you can see the betrayal. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I don't care about him, but clearly she does. Yeah. Clearly this is this is not about her job. It's all about getting revenge. It's a, it's a lot of good stuff. And uh, at the end of this volume, it is one year worth of comics. So, mm-hmm. And clearly they wanted to end it on a big cliffhanger. And... Do you think they earned it? Because, in my opinion, it was a little odd. Like, just on this read-through, I've never noticed it before, but they kind of jump ahead just to have that cliffhanger when it feels like there should be one or two more issues before that. To me, it feels like this is the situation, and the next two issues are going to be like, and here's how we got here. Okay. I haven't, I haven't I read ahead. That's what it feels like, though. Do you want me to tell you? Sure. It is. Okay, cool. I was just saying, taking this volume in a vacuum, I realized it feels that way, and it's a bit odd. Um, however, it's a great cliffhanger, and the bulk of that whole issue, when it's just Prince Robot and uh, the author having a conversation about his I- ideology... So, so interesting. Probably the most actual gripping dialogue in this comic. Especially, especially with the way the author you know kind of... Go ahead. Especially with the author kind of, like, dismissing of, like, you mean that drivel? The thing I made for a paycheck after a divorce? Mm-hmm. And that adds so much more... That adds a whole other layer to it once you know the reveal. Because you... That it was intentional and... that he did do it as... So, it's it's uh, it's such good shit. Yeah, it's good. Top notch, high quality. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you want to do volume three, or do you think you're good now? I think it's. I think we're at the point where, much like Invincible, I much rather read it on my own time because I'm now at that place where you know what. Some drama seems good to me. It's not like a thing I'm gonna balk my head at. Alright. Well, that's pretty good, because there's there's some stuff coming up that I am looking forward to getting to hear your thoughts on. But uh, I guess that'll happen right. when it happens. Uh, so... In due time. You want to tell me what you've been up to during this... Uh, oh, no, wait. There's something we need to do first. It's late, so I'm a bit forgetful, but... We need to find out what we're going to talk about on the next episode. Are you ready to do that? Sure, let's do it. All right, let me get the thing set up real quick, because that's how much I forgot. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, hey, we can always stall for time. Time do, for stalls. Do, 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 do. And next time on Analytical Fanboys, we will be talking about... Boingo, boingo, only a lad. 
Ooh, this is the first album from Oingo Boingo from when they reformatted from a performance art troupe to when Danny Elfman took over the band and turned it into a new wave phenomenon. Hmm. This is Only a Lad. And it has some of the bigger hits uh, of Oingo Boingo's career. I'm genuinely kind of excited for this because you built them up to me for a long time and I have heard Private Life and Private Life really did shoot up there for me as like one of the best songs I've ever heard. Like, including the video in that. The video for Private Life is fucking fantastic, so. And my mo- and half of my moniker comes from Oingo Boingo. Yeah, I'm I'm super interested to see what more of their work is like. So this should be a fun episode. Alrighty. But for now, why don't you tell me what you've been doing this week? Well, this week has been the holiday season. Ooh, so yes. it has been a enjoyable non-denominational festive time period. So I didn't get a ton of things done, but I did get some specific things done. But musically, I've just been diving more into the industrial side of things. So some more Rammstein, uh, Static X, Power Man 5000, uh, 5, more of that kind of stuff. Just to kind of counteract some of the Christmas carol-y, overly joyful things. Just kind of like, I needed something there. So like, when I've been helping out, doing some dishes, wrapping some presents, it's like, you know what? I want some thumping German yelled in my ears. Nice. Uh, I didn't get much of a chance to read anything because, A, uh, we, being with family, it's kind of rude to just be reading, going away and like that. Uh, so not much there. But I did watch some stuff. Christmas Day, me and my family watched uh, The Santa Claus 1 and 2. Hey, I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, it's good holiday fluff. Nothing yeah, to focus on. I, and I'm a like I haven't watched anything he's done recently, but I'm a fucking huge classic Tim Allen fan. Classic Tim Allen was great before he started opening his mouth and making you go like, "Oh, okay." You know, I don't want to be one of those people, but when he got political, it really did go downhill. Because I love the first season of Last Man Standing. The second season, they started doing more political episodes, and it got really uncomfortable. Yeah. But then I also watched Star Wars Episode Nine. So, Chris, what's the verdict? It is fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Holy shit! I did not expect you to say that at all. I didn't. I wasn't expecting you to hate it, but I did not expect you to say it was great either. That's okay. Hell yeah! Yeah, no, it was a good. It was a fucking Star Wars movie. That's what a Star Wars movie is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of criticisms people have been lobbying at this movie, and I agree with some of them. However, I don't think it's either as bad or as good as any real side it says it is. Like, let me put it this way. My perspective on Star Wars this de- these days is that it's all a big, go- dumb, goofy space romp anyway. Why take any of it seriously or have a real opinion about it? Just... Like, Star Wars is a consummate turn-your-brain-off franchise at this point, and I'm fine with that. I don't need Star Wars to be the most amazing, deep thing ever. I have other franchises I like for that. So here's so, the thing. I figured out what people, like, when thinking about what people have been saying about this new Star Wars movie, 
A, I developed my own like idea of like how people watch things theory because it's, like, you go like, oh, I turn my brain off. It's like you don't turn your brain off. You just turn off your literary brain. You're not thinking of themes and deep characters and like what do all this mean? You're thinking, oh, this looks really cool. You're turning on your aesthetic brain. Yeah. You're you're trying to you're focusing on the aesthetics or you're focusing on the technical, like, oh man, how did they do that? That looks really cool. And like, you, turning... you know how Scorsese called the Marvel movies theme park rides? I don't have that with Marvel movies, and I don't usually have that with really any movies. This, because of the pacing and because of how much stuff is in it, I did have that, but I had it in a positive way. Like, I, I felt like I went on a big, fun roller coaster. And even then, there are some elements that are, like, really kind of cool thematically. Like, a little element I noticed while watching the movie was Kylo Ren starts the movie full Kylo decked up whole nine yards, cape, jacket, helmet, everything. And as the movie goes on, he starts losing more and more until he finally has that moment where, oh, by the way, spoilers. Yes, spoilers. (laughs) We haven't spoiled much of anything, so we're good. Let's, let's, okay, here's how spoiler it is. Three, two, one. Ray is Palpatine's granddaughter. All right, bitchin'. But until finally he's just at that cliff and uh, semi-force ghost Han Solo goes like, hey, kid, you don't really want to do this. You've been fighting this the whole time. Why don't you just do what you want to do? And he goes like, is that really okay? Can I just do that? And he's like, yeah, just do it. And he's like, fuck yeah. And he just goes and saves Rey as best as he can. And his costume is not one-to-one, but it resembles Luke's costume from Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Also, can we just have a moment of appreciation for the fact that Harrison Ford went and did that scene, but he didn't go through any fucking hair and makeup for it? Yeah, no. Like, it's I was... Hard. I mean, it fits. I'll admit, half the reason I went to see this was so I could have context for the Red Letter Media review, because I was really looking forward to that, and it was actually quite the disappointing video. But one bit of that video that did have me dying laughing was Mike and Jay doing Harrison Ford impressions going like, fine, I'll do the fucking scene, but I won't shave. No, don't fucking touch my hair. I'll do the fucking scene, but don't touch me. Yeah, no, I have very high doubts that it was anything like that. It's probably just more like, hey, Harrison, you want to come in for a day and do a thing? Yeah, cool. Don't worry, we got the costume. It's just going to be quick in and out. All right, cool. It was fun. like, and that was cool because hey, it's one last little bit for Han, and it kind of not necessarily also, for all the people complaining about that. Going like, how is he a Force ghost? He's not a jet. He's not a Force ghost. Kylo Ren literally says, "You're a memory." He's yeah, remembering it's... the scene from the Force Awakens but he's thinking about how it could have gone differently and how it should have affected him. Yeah, and there's a little bit of the Force, because remember, the Force is within all of us. It's a spiritual thing. So yeah, the little bit of Harrison Ford, uh, fucking Han Solo in the Force, probably went into the memories and was like, hey kid, be good. Mm-hmm. Be, be good. Be good boy, of- Ben. Ben, be good boy. And all that kind of stuff. And I saw like some things, I saw like one comment somewhere and it says like, 
oh man, Ben Solo didn't deserve a redemption arc. He didn't get a redemption arc. He had one redeeming moment and was like, all right, cool. I did finally did something good and then died. It's not a redemption arc. It's once in my life, I would like to get things right. Yeah. And like, and he, and that's what happens. He does the right thing and he's called Ben. And it's like, oh shit, I actually deserve to be called that now. And mm-hmm. he dies happy. Um, so going along that theme, because I guess we're just going to have a, a short-ish discussion about this movie. How did you feel about the kiss? Because I saw some people getting real upset going like, oh my god, they had Ray kiss her rapist. Well, considering A, he never raped her. A lot of people consider the interrogation scene between them and Force Awakens to be a rape allegory, myself included. It never felt like that because A, she was also in high amounts of control because she was forcing a lot of stuff just as well. Like, yeah, it was kind of rapey, but it wasn't a rape scene. Okay. It was very, and it was never with the, like, here's the thing. Rape is a very specific thing. It is power over another person in a sexual context. If you are just initiating power over someone else without that context, it's not rape. It's just being a dick. To okay. me, that scene never had the sexual context that to me makes rape a much more serious thing than like holding someone down. Like you can put a knee on someone's chest and hold them down and make it so they can't move, and that's not rape. And to me, that's what the scene was more. It was interrogation, it was torture. It wasn't rape. If they said, oh, how can she kiss her torturer? Yeah, I get that. Okay. Um, it, it, to me, rape is much more of a loaded concept that shouldn't be used lightly like that. Fair enough. And I'm not saying that was my criticism. That's just one I saw going around. For me, that moment was like, I'm not 100% into this, but I can see how we got here because they have sort of kind of been building a romance of sorts between them through all three movies. But it's also just like a genuine like, oh shit, we're on the same side for once and we're just being like the day saved and we're everything's good. Oh, emotions high, let's just kiss. And then he immediately dies. Well, so like... Yeah. Uh, it was just kind of like a little like, hey, not necessarily like, hey, you deserve a prize kind of thing. It's just more like, hey, I just genuinely care about you now. And this is a quick, easy way to show it to you thematically. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I really like the status quo they leave off in this movie because it makes me want to like, I know we're probably not going to get these actors in anything for a long time. But I want to read whatever they do with them next in the EU, especially with Ray having a staff lightsaber that's an orange blade now. I want to know what kind of adventures she's going to go off and have. There's a lot of cool things that they set up for, like what the new status quo is of Lando Calrissian helping out uh, uh, former stormtroopers find their homes. To... Uh, do, you, do you think that girl's going to end up being his daughter and suffering? Because that's a theory I've seen going around. I don't think it's going to be a daughter. I, the more likely it would be Finn's sister. I could see that, or at the very least, just like she kind of becomes Lando's protege. I definitely see her doing that. 
Which, by the way, um, just speaking about Lando in this movie, I know some people were disappointed at how little they used him. Billy, Billy D. Williams is fucking ancient, and he walks with a cane now. I didn't expect him to be running around doing stuff. Yeah, no. Um, they use him just enough to also go like, hey, I also note, I also was like an observer to the, to the trio. They were awesome dudes. Like, I understand and respect it, and I can give you a different perspective of them because because of the fact that you had to deal with them for so long you kind of lose a certain ideal of them and like i can go like no dudes they were like this too um i wasn't super into him in the later part of the movie just because he felt sort of like an afterthought in those scenes though i get that there was nothing really to do with him there i mean um, he was a however, pilot was open. in the in this on the scene on the desert world i really enjoyed that little moment because a, it's fucking homaging a toy commercial, and B, uh, we get a uh, um, uh, him talking about like, oh yeah, I came with Luke on the adventure where he was looking for this thing, and I've been just sort of standing guard ever since. That felt very EU Lando to me, because in the old extended universe, it was kind of a running joke that Lando would keep getting new business investments and trying to start a new life for himself away from the rebellion. And then Luke or Han would come calling and be like, Hey, I need your help with a thing. And he'd be like, God damn it. All right. Since you asked, uh, there's a lot of great little elements in this movie that I genuinely enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'd say force awakens is kind of the weakest of this new trilogy, just because a, they were trying to set up so many ground by focusing and referencing the legacy that it, it in the grand scheme of all of them, if you were to watch prequels, original trilogy, new trilogy, all together, it would feel like one of the weaker movies because, oh, we're reusing a lot of elements that you just saw. When it first came out, it was really cool and needed to be like that to kind of get people back up to speed on what, hey, this is like, this is this kind of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But going forward, uh, watching it now, it definitely feels like you should watch original trilogy prequels and then this so it feels fresh again. Yeah. I'm Um, still a big fan and proponent of uh, The Last Jedi. I still really enjoy that movie. And all the people going like, oh man, they retcon shit. Like, they didn't retcon nothing. They didn't retcon anything, but they sidestepped a whole lot of things that were introduced in that movie. But There's like a difference. Yeah, but people were going like, oh man, they retconned the whole, oh, you came from nobody thing. Uh, with the fact that she's Palpatine's granddaughter. No, that's a Star Wars trope. Vader, he, he's a Obi-Wan's, fucking liar. Obi-Wan said you killed my father. There was, like, that's the thing. That, that started the whole trilogy. It's like, Obi-Wan said, no, 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 Darth Vader killed your father. And then when Luke calls him out on his bullshit, he goes, well, there was truth in what I said. I just didn't want to fucking piss you off right then. All we... I think all we needed to do to make that scene work better was to have Kylo say, well, what I said was true from a certain point of view. Yeah, that's that's essentially what he was doing, was like, yeah, no, your parents wanted to be nobodies because if they weren't, you would have been killed. You know, that kind of thing. Like, so, so to me, that whole thing kind of lines up. And yeah, it kind of, some people are going like, yeah, but it ruins the whole, oh, she came from nothing. It's like, 
No. I um I also just generally the whole thing of Ray's lineage, how it works out in this movie. I do feel like it feels like it's a little out of left field to reveal that she's a Palpatine in this. However, I don't see how they could have done it any other way after the way Last Jedi left things. And also, I just find the idea that Darth Sidious fucked hilarious. See, to me, I understand, oh, granddaughter, it just makes it more immediate. Mm -hmm. What would have been really cool would be, okay, so Palpatine can just clone his body and live forever. That's just what this movie establishes. Mm -hmm. Which is sort of in line with uh, old Extended Universe stuff. If you've read uh, the novel Darth Plagueis, which is about Plagueis taking Palpatine as his apprentice, they were doing all kinds of weird cloning shit. But it's also foreshadowed in the goddamn prequels. So, mm. Mm mm-hmm. It makes them relevant again. That's cool, but it would have been re- it would have been kind of more fitting timeline wise to make sense of like who would fuck Palpatine uh, if instead of who would fuck Palpatine, it's like oh no, he fucked centuries ago, and Ray is just like his ancestor. Or you could say she's a clone of him mixed with someone else's DNA. But I think if you did the whole oh she's an ancestor of him. You could then go like, yeah, no, your parents were nobodies. It's just go back far enough. You have a grandparent who is a somebody. Hmm. You know, it, it could have you could have had your cake and eat it too. And uh, those, what what did you actually think of Palpy in this movie? He was fucking. I loved him. He was great. <laughs> I I thought Ian McDermott gave a wonderful performance. However, I think the script let it down a little bit just because. Everything he says, except for a few bit of connecting lines, is stuff he's already said. There's no real new memes to be had here. Yeah, but also, like, the fucking visuals of, like, him being suspended by a giant mechanical arm from the ceiling, covered in cables. This was, like, beautiful visuals. And also the fucking dubstep noise when he did the giant EMP on all the ships. (laughs) (laughs) That was just the best. Boom. Uh, what's your theory on all those people in the stadium? I've I've seen some people saying like, oh, it's supposed to be a Sith cult or like it's an illusion. Red Letter Media had a really weird theory where they were like, oh, Palpatine is just a name for a Sith hive mind collective, and those were all an illusion of the the Sith installments of Palpatine that have come before the one we know. And I was like, that's fucking insanity. I don't know how you got that read. Yeah, no, that's a weird read. To me, it just felt more like Sith ghosts. Like how we have good Force ghosts. Mm-hmm. It felt like, oh, these are the Sith equivalent. Also, not, necess- not necessarily people. Oh, go ahead. Not necessarily Force ghosts because the Force ghost is a whole specific thing that Qui Gon learned from. Remember the blind Force dude from Rogue One? Kinda. Well, he is of a specific religious sect that worships the Force that are not Jedi and Sith, and they have some specific Force powers themselves, and Qui-Gon learn how to become a Force ghost from them. Okay. So, so I'm not saying like those were Force ghosts, but they were something equivalent to. 
Force specters. Force thingamajigs. I, that's what I feel. Especially because when Ray kind of like did the final blow thing, all the, the robes kind of disappeared and kind of fluttered <laughs> to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um... Oh, yeah, I wanted to say, to all the people who were complaining, like, oh, where'd he get all the Star Destroyers from? There was, like, a line about him manifesting them. How does that work? Like, I don't have an explanation, but also it's Star Wars. It's a goofy sci-fi space thing. Not everything has to be explained. He's a wizard. That's what the Jedi and the Sith are. They're wizards. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, the only complaint I could kind of agree with there is, like, it's a little lazy to have them just be old Star Destroyers with Death Star cannons mounted on them. Yeah. But only, like, a little bit. Yeah, but it also is, like, the ultimate, like, ramped up. It's the final step in that kind of weapon. It's like, oh, now it can just go anywhere right when you need it to. Yeah. There was just, like... I can understand some people saying the pacing of the movie was a little off, and I'm like, yeah, the pacing's a little off, but the pacing in fucking New Hope was a little off. It was like... The pacing in any Star Wars movie is a little off. Like, every Star Wars movie has that weird detour moment. Even this movie does, with like... It's important to the plot, but the fucking snake scene feels like a weird detour. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember um, what we were talking about the the underground snake where Ray healed its wound, mm-hmm. setting up that oh yeah you can transfer life force and heal people. Can I just say like one of my favorite things in the movie too was getting to finally see Ray, Finn, and Poe interact together on screen all at the same time. Yeah, because like those those actors work so well together, and it makes me. Like, I understand why it had to happen, but I'm so irritated it took this long for it to happen. But also, like, how they kind of kept it with what we've been seeing in the movie, which is Finn and Ray are really good friends, Finn and Poe are really good friends, and Finn's just kind of the connecting force between them, and Ray and Poe haven't really interacted a ton. But now that that they're a trio... That first scene when they get back... And Ray and Poe are bickering was so good. I was like, oh my god, that's it. That's the dynamic. It's my boyfriend and my best friend don't get along, but I just want them to get along. I love it. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's perfect. Which, by the way, I think that's my one big complaint with the movie. Um, Why couldn't Finn and Poe just have been gay? It could have, but I feel like if you wanted to do that, because A, to me, any kind of romantic subplot needs to actually genuinely be set up. And like, it's. it's like, it needs to have more than just like, oh, they really get along and they care about each other. Like, there needs to be another element to a setup of a relationship for it then to become a romantic one. I have the same complaint with a lot of uh, straight romantic subplots in movies. Like, here's the thing. I didn't, I've never shipped Finn and Poe, but in this movie, it felt like they were trying so hard to sidestep that. Where, like, because J.J. J. Abrams didn't create Rose and he clearly doesn't like her, he had Finn friend zone her super hard at the beginning of the movie. 
but then all throughout the movie, we're teasing Finn saying, Ray, I love you, and never fucking paid that off. That that's 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 one thing. That's another thing I could complain about with this movie is that's that's a plot line that goes nowhere. Um and then we have an entire subplot just to show that Poe has a big old case of the not gays. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like the char- the character we get out of it, but it's really weird that we went so far out of our way to give Poe a case of the not gays and also be like, um, yeah, you know how he was a really unique character in that he's the third member of the triad, but he's really devoted to the resistance and we already pre-established in comics and stuff that he's always been that way. His parents were rebel fighter pilots and he just grew up around those people. Um, now this is, this is the one legit retcon in this movie. We're retconning those comics to say that he was a spice runner years ago. I mean, he could have grew up with the rebellion and then just kind of like became a spice runner for a bit. Like, Oh shit, the rebellions this cell of the rebellions kind of gone to shit. Something happened. I need to make money somehow. Fuck. Uh let me just go sell drugs. And I and I don't doubt the novel or comic miniseries they put out to explain it will be that way. It just feels a little awkward, especially when he had his own ongoing, which was about him putting together the the resistance air force and being like a major founding force of the resistance yeah no i'm and like here's the thing star wars is always about retcons <laughs> yeah like people go like oh this is weird and all the retcons bruh dude luke and leia that's a retcon mm-hmm. like why do you fuck do you think there's a Force ghost? It's because they wanted to have Obi-Wan Kenobi come back and explain bullshit. I was like, hey, by the way, this is actually like this, and this is actually like this. Don't worry yeah. about it. Anything I complain about with this movie is like, it bothered me, but also I'm fine with it, and I accept it because I'm not toxic, and I stopped being this invested with Star Wars after I saw how vitriolic the fan base could get in response to The Last Jedi. Because I will remind people, I did not dislike or like The Last Jedi. I thought it was an okay movie with a lot of little niggling problems for me personally. But in the greater context now, I think a lot of those, a lot of things kind of, like, massage. I'm not saying that you shouldn't not dislike them, I'm just saying, like, now that we have an end, you can go like, okay, I see where everything was kind well, of going. I don't know if you saw, but also over the last week, William Cara put out a three-part review of the comic adaptation of Last Jedi, and he loves that movie. So he was like explaining it from the viewpoint of somebody who enjoys the movie. He was explaining the plot that way, but he was also doing it without stopping every five seconds to go, and if you disagree with me, you're a racist, sexist piece of shit. So to hear that viewpoint without that vitriolic statement thrown in every few minutes was like, oh, okay, I get it. I get where people are coming from now. I can see why you would like this movie. I don't entirely disagree. You haven't completely brought me around to the viewpoint but I get why people think this movie works now. And I can sort of, I can sort of get in that mindset when I'm watching Star Wars. Um, what's the thing I was about to say? I was about to say a thing. Oh, um, 
And honestly, I think I've kind of gotten to the point where I, I agree with Movie Bob with his opinion on what Star Wars is. Star Wars is like pizza. Even bad Star Wars is still fucking Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I didn't love The Last Jedi. The problems I had with it really stuck out to me at the time. But there were also some scenes in that movie I had a lot of fun with. Uh, and like... And like, here's a, he used the example of like, I, I stopped liking, I didn't want my personality to be the prequels suck. It's like, yeah, thinking of these movies as like something to, as a hill to die on is like kind of dumb and not worth it. And that, and that again was a thing I didn't like about the Red Letter Media reviews. They went out of their way at one point to be like, oh, to all our commenters who keep going like, See, the prequels aren't so bad now because look at how bad the sequels are. They go like, no, the prequels are still as bad as they are. These movies don't change our opinions on the prequel. Which, on the one hand, good for you for not letting future installments of a franchise change your opinion on past works. But also, like, you guys have got to understand at this point, you are the grumpy old men sitting on the porch. Yeah, the prequels are fine. They're they're fine. They're really fun for those of us who grew up with them and are nostalgic for. Like, see, here's I, the thing. My best friend, who I went to see that saw this movie with, he genuinely loves the prequels. Let me state this further. He genuinely loves Jar Jar Binks. Wow. To the point, he bought the Hot Wheels character car of Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) That's great. Good for him. Like, he is genuine Liss's love of Jar Jar Binks. Like, it's not ironic to him. Like, in, yeah, Star Wars is fucking great. It was a good movie. Yeah. And I think we'll end it there. So what else did you do? Well... Nothing. I never. I didn't watch a ton of things more. I've been watching YouTube when I can. But uh, we did have Christmas, so I thought I'd go through some of the things I got. Okay. Uh, I did get a new mattress, new bed. I've been needing a new one. Nice. Yeah. Uh, some new sheets to go with that too. I got a dope ass blockbuster shirt. Okay. The best way to put it is, it looks like a T-shirt. Corporate would send to its employees to wear in the 90s. And it has like a picture of a store with like a slogan under it, and it's perfect. It's my aesthetic to a T. Schlocky 90s corporate bullshit. Fantastic. Uh, I got a Hawaiian shirt because I've been wanting one. My sister kind of knows my aesthetic. Because we were talking, because I was talking, was like, I need some new clothes. And mom's like, oh, like what? And I was like, oh, Hawaiian shirt. That'd be fun. And she pulled up like one of those like full picture landscape looking Hawaiian shirts that 40 year old divorcees wear to a bowling alley. It's just going to dress like Ernie from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And I was like, ah, not that kind of thing. And then my sister said, oh, like the one I have. And I was like, yes. And so she found one that I would like. And it's just like halved pineapples and it's blue and yellow and it's really cool. Hey. Yeah, like like here's the thing. When I have money and I uh to get some clothes, 
I have already talked to her. She's going to help me figure this out because she's much more in tune with fashion and can help me figure this shit out. She's your official fashion consultant. My me and my sister have a good relationship. We're cool. That's that's nice. I'm 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 happy for you, especially considering what I got going on with most of my family. Yeah, I'm like I'm like teaching her how to drive and everything. So, way. Uh, I got a couple that kind of stuff. Got some candy, whatnot, stocking stuffers. Nice. Uh, and I got a Nintendo Switch. Holy shit! Yeah. So I've been playing that. What games you got? Uh, I only got one game on a cartridge to go with it, which was Super Mario Odyssey. Nice. But I have downloaded uh, Warframe, Brawlhalla, which I played a little bit. I'm probably going to delete it. And Dauntless, which I haven't played yet. These are all free-to-play games that are on the Switch store. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to see what other games I can get soon because I don't have a ton, a ton of money. And uh, definitely get the online service so I can play all the old NES and SNES games. Okay. Well, uh, we'll, we'll probably do some stuff together because uh, quick spoiler from what, my, what we got, uh, I did not get a Switch for Christmas or at all, but uh, I, I get paid in like a couple hours and my next payday is like right after my birthday. So I'm thinking I'm just going to hold my money back as much as I can for the next week and a half. And then on my birthday, I'm going to go and buy a Switch. Cool. If you do, we'll just exchange friend codes and be friends. Yeah. But no, I'm really digging the Switch. It's really solid. It's really good. And uh, I today I've been watching YouTube on it. So when I've been watch, I plugged it into the TV in the living room and watch YouTube there. And if I go to another room, I just take the Switch out and continue watching on the same thing. Nice. It's a good little it's a good little feature and uh there's no Netflix on the Switch yet, but there is Hulu and that kind of thing. Um and of course I got Super Mario Odyssey, which is another 3D Mario game kinda like sixty four, but with bigger worlds and a hat you can throw. I've heard I've heard it's very okay for most of it, but then by a certain point towards the end it becomes like the best Mario game ever made. It's a really, like, here's the thing. It's very much a really good Mario game with a lot of extra stuff that's just kind of, like, explore and walk around and do shit. That's not necessarily Mario, but it's still fun enough. Here's a musical number. Yeah. Uh, Warframe is a third-person ninja shootery thing that my friend really likes that I've been somewhat enjoying. Uh, I need to play some more of it. I'm still in the, like... Here's a tutorial on how you build everything and mission types and everything kind of area, but I only play like a mission a day. I don't want to. I don't. I, I'm. I'm trying to temper myself with playing the game. Brawlhalla is kind of like generic character Smash, and yeah, they have crossovers with other characters like WWE wrestlers and Steven's Universe. Nice. But they're just reskins of already existing characters. So, like... Whatever. And I haven't played any Dauntless, but I think it's kind of like Monster Hunter. Hmm. But I haven't played it yet. So... Yeah, Switch! Switch! Switch it up! (laughs) (laughs) Alright. 
Is that everything? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's All everything I right. got. Oh, I got a Casio calculator watch because uh, the last it's two. Aesthetic. The last one I had, uh, the watch, uh, the band parish. I, this is my third one. Hmm. And I'm keeping the, all the watch faces as trophies. Very clean. All right. Well, uh, I did a good bit of stuff this last week because, uh, hey, I may be dedicating a good bit of time to the fam, but the media train does not stop rolling for Vax. So. I listened to uh, Red Letter Media's return to the Bunny Ears podcast, uh, where they brought on Rich Evans, um, because last time it was just Mike J and uh, Macaulay. Um, so it was it was a slightly different dynamic, and they they did uh, some follow ups to last stuff. They also did like predictions for Rise of Skywalker. Um, but like more casually than they did in their actual predictions video, and that was kind of fun. Um, and also, Macaulay Culkin gave Mike um, a a voice box, I believe it's called the like the machine ghost hunters use to scan radio frequencies for ghost voices. And they were all like freaking out and playing with it all throughout the podcast. They were like, "This is amazing! Now that we have this, we have to do our ghost adventures parody." Um, so that, that was a nice listen, uh, still on that there TJ Omega rewatch, uh, been, uh, watching through Toy Semper one and two this week. Um, man, uh, his, his more recent stuff during like that little period where he was really going hard on, uh, scripted content from like 2014 till 2016 was so good. Like I understand why he did it. But I, I really am upset by how overtook his channel got by Random Review. Because Random Review isn't bad. It's just very bland. I like his scripted stuff, the scripted TJ reviews, and um, Toy Sember, and Glyos 101. All that stuff is great. Go check that out if you haven't watched any TJ Omega content. That's the TJ Omega content I recommend. Um, then I saw Rise of Skywalker. We talked about that already. Uh, watched various YouTube Christmas videos, uh, uh already talked about Toysember, watched the Ashen's Advent Calendar series over the last few weeks, that was, that was a fun ride, um, the first part is a must-watch YouTube video, the rest of it is just kind of like, oh, Dan, I feel so sorry for you, um, and uh, then the Pixel Dan uh, Advent Calendar series wrapped up as well. That was very fun and wholesome. Uh, watched a Christmas staple of mine, Life and Death of a Christmas Tree by Blame Society. That is fucking hilarious. I love it so much. And uh, a new Christmas video I watched because uh, my boy Endless Jess had a cameo in it. Christmas with Cocaine Stepdad. Um... Not the best thing ever, not my particular brand of comedy, but it was very well executed, I thought. Uh, the way it shot kind of reminded me of the Joker blogs, the older, the later episodes. Um, but uh, that, was, that was pretty much it for YouTube stuff, I think. Uh, so, watched a good bit of Christmas movies. Uh, the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol. 
which is my personal favorite version. It's the one I grew up on. Well, it and the Mick and the Disney version, but th this was kind of like the the more adult version of it I grew up on. And I fucking love George C. Scott as Scrooge. Like I've not seen much of his utter work, and I'm pretty sure he was one of those old Hollywood racist assholes. But he's fucking phenomenal as Scrooge. So a plus, a plus movie. Um, are for Christmas. I'd never seen this before. It's a fairly recent movie. Um, I wouldn't say it's a must-watch, but it's a fairly solid new Christmas movie. I like the kind of take it has on the elves um, and just the lineage of Santa in general. Uh, however, the animation can come off a little stiff at times, and uh, the voice acting doesn't always match up. Um, Especially the the main character, who's voiced by James McAvoy, uh, like it's a very good performance by James McAvoy, but it doesn't feel like it fits the character model all the time. Wait, is that the DreamWorks movie? It might be DreamWorks. I'm not sure. Is it because they they've been there's been a Christmas movie going about that uses the character design of Santa from Le uh, Guardians of the Legends or whatever the Jack Frost D DreamWorks movie was. No, it's not that. This is a very okay. different Santa. You know what it's, I'm talking about? It's a about, very right? I think I think I do. Um, it's a very British movie too. The entire cast, I think, is European. Um, and they they use a lot of the British terms too. Like uh, the the title itself is a play on Father Christmas. Um, Bad Santa. Also watched that for the first time, and wow, it is not my cup of tea. Um, yeah. If they had redeemed his character a whole lot more in the third act, I probably would have liked it. But so much of the movie is just wallowing in filth, and that's not good for a Christmas movie. I get what it's going for, but it's, it's not, not your not dad's Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Billy Bob Thornton's a great actor. He really sells the role, but it's just not for me. Um... Die Hard. I'd never seen Die Hard before. Uh, it's okay. I do not agree that it's a Christmas movie. It is totally a Christmas movie. It's a movie that takes place at Christmas. Okay, tell me, what's this, what, are, what are themes that are in a Christmas movie? I know where you're going with this. This is how it was pitched to me that I should watch the movie this year. I understand that viewpoint. I can see it. I do not agree with it. Christmas is about togetherness and coming together and family and dude, it's, that's what Die Hard's about. It's about fucking fighting for someone you care about. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. I, I think it's a very good movie. I just don't think it's a movie that I would watch in the idea of I want to watch a Christmas thing. Okay, fine. Be boring. Uh, dude, do you know how basic white guy saying Die Hard is your favorite Christmas movie has become? That's that's me not me not liking it as a Christmas movie is not a boring take. It's if anything, it's it's the definition of a hot take. I expect to get angry comments about this. <sighs> Common Rider Drive episodes ten and eleven. They're a little Christmas two parter, which. This has become a tradition for me because I just love how fucking relatable this episode is because. For those of you who don't know, the plot of the episode is that 
um, Common Rider Drive, his birthday is Christmas Eve. So he's like, he really hates Christmas because people always try to give him a combined Christmas and birthday present. And he's still sour about that, even as a grown ass man. And it's like, as somebody whose birthday is like two and a half weeks after Christmas and people still try and pull that shit with him, I feel you, brah. Also, the, the, the end scene with where it's like the first real hint you get that him and Kiriko are going to hook up is, is really cute. Yep. Uh, at least my birthday's in April, so... Hey. Um, then I watched my personal favorite episode of The Twilight Zone, which happens to also be their Christmas special, Night of the Meek. Um, which I didn't realize it until I was watching it this year, but it's basically Bad Santa, if Bad Santa was the version of Bad Santa I want Bad Santa to be. How many more times are you going to say Bad Santa? Uh, no more times, because we're never talking about that movie again. It's, uh, it's pretty bad. Um, fuck you. Uh, but yeah, Night of the Meek, fantastic Christmas special. Check it out if you haven't already. It's got Harvey Corman and the fucking voice of Piglet in it. What else do you need to know? Um, then I watched the Doctor Who version of A Christmas Carol, which was the one Doctor Who Christmas episode I'd never seen. Um, just kind of missed it that year. Uh, and it's not, it's not great. But it's it's an interesting take on it. Um, it's it's less we're straight up doing a Christmas Carol and more like we're doing something that's in the spirit of that. And the way they get to doing that makes sense because the Doctor's already a pre-established Charles Dickens fanboy, so it makes sense he'd come up with doing a Christmas Carol as a plan to try and fix something. Um. Uh. I do think it's a little awkward where we kind of end up with the, the, the character who's playing the role of Scrooge in this story at the end of it. Like the it's, I'd have to majorly spoil the episode to say what happens with him at the end, but the, the status quo they leave him with is like, that's, that's a bit awkward. And like, it's, I get the, I get the point of the episode is that it's okay for things to be, bad any uh, from time to time as long as you're good through through and through but it's it's just weird that the doctor would leave someone like that um power ranger zeo a season to remember uh probably my favorite power rangers ep- uh christmas episode um it's, it's really solid because it's not only a christmas episode it's, a, it's about all the winter holidays and it's about like we need to get we need to get along and share community and whatnot. The core fucking message of Power Rangers expressed for the holidays. It's, it's good stuff. Um, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, get ready to send in your hate mail, because this is the first time I'd ever watched this. And I don't think it's bad. I just think it's not for me. Um, the amount of changes they made... And the overall Muppets tone being mixed in with A Christmas Carol does not work for me. I get what they're going for. I think it definitely does have that Muppets charm to it. However, in the context of A Christmas Carol, it doesn't work for me. 
I do like a lot of what they do effects-wise, though. I love the the free ghosts. They all look fantastic. The I think this has my favorite version of the Ghost of Christmas Past. Um, and I, I love how almost every character in the movie is a Muppet. There's so many great and varied designs in, in this movie. Um, uh, and I didn't like a whole lot of the songs. However, Michael Caine's song at the end of the movie is great. And that's everything I watched. So, um, before I get on to what I read, Chris, did you see them, uh, Sentai scans? I saw, like, one of them you sent me, and it was, like, very glittery. Yes. Uh, next, next year, the first Sentai of the Reiwa era in 2020 will be Mashin Sentai Kira Maiger, uh, which is themed after rescue jewels and magic they're doing all three of those themes at the same time and there's also a lot of like homaging old sentais in the designs because while this will be the 44th sentai overall um the sixth episode of this show is scheduled to air on the 50th anniversary of the broadcast of go rangers pilot um, so we're all expecting something big for that. Uh, we haven't seen the face actors yet. However, we have gotten like a brief plot synopsis of just like villain faction escapes, um, people with m- insert um, weird name for power here, uh, rise up to become warriors. That's basically the plot synopsis we have so far. We've seen what the vehicles look like. And uh, we've seen various pictures and poses of the suits. And um, I don't know if I'll be watching this week to week, but I am interested enough that I'll probably watch the first episode. I'm pre- I'm kind of excited to see what a Sentai looks like again. And um, I haven't experienced that since uh, Q Ranger. I was I was pretty into things during the beginning of Q Ranger. Fell off halfway through it. Lupin Ranger versus Pat Ranger never really grabbed me, though I've heard the show is amazing, so I'll probably watch it eventually. And uh, Ryu Soldier just looks awful to me. I know people say the show gets better after, like, 20 episodes or something, but everything I've seen about it just aesthetically does not work for me. This, however, looks like it might be fun. Um, Suits fucking grow on me every time I see them. But anyway... Uh, going on to stuff I actually read, um, got quite a, quite a bit of comics, uh, going in, uh, mostly stuff I read, actually all stuff I read online, um, Entanglement Part 2, uh, this is the sequel to a, um, mature reader's manga I read online, I think, like, shortly before we started doing the podcast, so it's it's been a long time coming. Um, I won't talk about it too much plot-wise, because it is, is, a, is an adult plot of a sexual nature. It's one of those kind of mangas where it kind of gets away with showing certain things by saying it's art. Um, but I thought, I thought this was a very satisfying sequel. And it sets up for a potential third part, and I want that third part. It's it's been a very interesting story so far. Um, then just so I could get a Christmas comic in, 
because I don't own a lot of them. But there's one I'd been beating around the bush with for quite a while. I hadn't read it because I knew it could probably emotionally hurt me. But I thought, what the hell, this is the year. And I read Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot, which is the final story in um, Christmas with the Superheroes number two, a DC Christmas special from years and years back, which was the first appearance of Supergirl after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And she comes as the ghost of Christmas present to Dead Man. And uh, it's, it's just a really touching little story about reminding Dead Man, like, hey, you, you may not be able to interact with the world the way you like, but you're still here. You should still try and enjoy the holiday. And there's a moment at the end of it where they reveal that it's Kara, and it, it makes you go in, in, in your heart place. So that, that was a lovely holiday experience. Um, then I read a couple of fan sequel comics. I read Teen Titans Emotion Sickness, which is a sort of epilogue to the Teen Titans animated series. Basically just furthering Robin and Starfire's relationship and being like, uh, hey, because the offer ships this, Raven and Beast Boy also get together. Um, not the best thing in the world. I wouldn't really recommend tracking it down, but... I enjoyed it. Um, then I read Transformers Animated Trial and Error. Did you hear that this fucking got released, Chris? No, like, I saw something like, oh, hey, Transformers Animated, like, cover thing, but, like... As a special Christmas present, because this was a convention-exclusive fan comic at TF Nation 2017... As a Christmas present for, I think, one day only, um, although it's, it's now um, hosted on several sites, including uh, TFW 2005, um, TF Nation put up the PDF. Um, so I went and just uh, today, actually, while I was waiting for you to come so we could record, I got the PDF off of TFW and read it. And it's not the most satisfying sequel ever, but then again, I never was the biggest animated fan ever, so I don't know if I'm I'm a good judge of that. Like, just to quickly go over it, my opinion of animated is it's not great. It's pretty. It's really good. It's not great. It's not. It's not what I would consider to be a great Transformer story. It is, however, a really good cartoon. Um, and this this falls through on a lot of things. It explains a lot of things. It does feel a bit rushed in places. However, the amount of stuff they manage to get in and the little bits of character work and world building they do are really fun. And just just the amount of stuff they manage to tie in and um, like not everybody gets a huge thing to do, but everybody gets a moment, even if it's just in the character descriptions, because. In, in case you haven't been with this world in a long time, every time a new character pops up, there's a little box of, like, name of character, their base traits, and, like, something you should know about their current status quo. And one of my favorite ones is when they're going through Trypticon prison and showing all the Decepticons in their cells, it cuts to Lugnut, and it just says, Lugnut, 
more loyal than you. It's like, that's fucking great. That's like nut. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I liked it a fair bit. I'm sure animated fans who hadn't gotten to read it yet are probably going bananas over it. And uh, if, if you haven't read it and you liked animated, check it out. Um, and then on to the toys, the glorious existence validating toys. Um, so uh, this, except for one thing, and I will denote that thing when I get to it, is basically just the last of the retro toy con stuff. I finally finished my two open pile this week because I had two days off for Christmas. So I was like, let's just fucking finish this because it's a month later now and I still haven't opened all these. That's embarrassing. Um, so, uh, put, put retro labels on my G1 Astrotrain Trailbreaker and Crankcase because some of them were missing stickers. Some of them had some faded stickers. Uh, so I ordered those like right after the con and they just got here. Um, Bangarang adds a lot to the figures. It's nice. Uh, G1 Inferno. I got a G1 Inferno at the con, and it, it's the commemorative edition, so it was in box. I hadn't gotten the chance to mess with it yet. I think this might be my favorite G1 figure, and I'm not just saying that because I love Inferno. Like, genuinely, it's a really solid figure, and, it, and aside from the detail of, oh, the ladder doesn't disappear into his back, it looks about as accurate to the show as you could get for the time. Um, so, fan-flippity-tastic. Uh, oh, I lied. There's two things on here that I got for Christmas. Transformers Cyberverse Titan Changer Bumblebee. Hmm. My mom got this for me as a joke because we like watching Fuse videos together every once in a while, and she thought it was a knockoff. It's that bad of a looking figure that she thought it was a knockoff, even though there's, like, no faux branding on it. It's very clearly a Transformers official product. And I'll be honest, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's pretty flippin' bad. Like, in robot mode, he just looks like a statue of himself, and he's so thin and terrible. There's, like, no pain. The transformation is as basic as you can get. And the car mode legit looks like it would shatter into a million pieces if I stepped on it. So, uh... Yeah, I think in 2020, a review of that thing that ends with me smashing it is gonna happen. I'll, I'll do, I'll do a, a, a Plastic Addict slash knockoff beatdown homage. Just do a fake British accent the whole time. Yeah. And I'll and I'll wear a, a Jesus hair wig. Just be a mix of the two. Yes. I could I could even contact them and get them to do cameos at the beginning, being like they they fused into one being. Uh. And then uh, the big daddy boy. I finally opened him. Siege Jetfire. He's uh he's pretty good. I I saw my friend sees Jetfire and it's a goddamn toddler. It's it is a big bouncing boy. It's it's not the biggest bouncing boy, but man, when you put it next to a deluxe, it's hilarious how 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 crazy the scale is. Um 
I do not think it's a perfect figure. There's a few niggling parts of the transformation that I didn't like that I found kind of irritating to do. Um, and I've just never been a fan of Jetfire's cartoon jet mode. It's it's very obviously a box with wings and a nose cone sticking out of it. Um, however, the robot mode is really good. He has a lot of cool little tricks and gimmicks he can do. I actually really like the way they did the, the armor up, make him look like a Macross in comparison to the, uh, the Generations leader. Um, like, the, the mask, you can actually see through the translucent plastic on the visor, and you can see his eyes in there. So it looks even more like he's wearing a helmet, and this is like badass power armor he put on. Um, the, uh, the sigil flip is cool. Um, I don't know if I'm going to use it that much. However, I do have him in a pose right now where he's mostly armored up, except he's holding his mask because the way his hands are articulated, you can get him holding the, the armor up mask. And he's got the Decepticon symbol, so it looks like he was in disguise as a Decepticon, and he just, like, went to an Autobot prisoner, like, it's okay, I'm going to get you out of here. Um, uh, the, the thing with the hands where when you open them, the, the gun port like sucks in, it's super obvious how they did that, but it's such a cool engineering trick that I don't care. I love it. Um, love the way the legs and the wings transform. Just so, so simple and fun. And it makes it, it's like, oh, you're so close to being a great toy if it wasn't for those parts of the transformation that I didn't like. But the way the wings transform, the way they like completely unfold like Buzz Lightyear is so good. Um, and uh, I love the Titan Master integration. We're still doing Titan Masters after all this time. You can fit three of them on him. And the freaking like spring-loaded doors behind his head to hide the head in jet mode. Brilliant. Um, so... Not a, a fantastic figure, but a really good little figure with a lot of great little ideas going on. Um, bang, ring. Uh, opened a bunch of Marvel Legends. Uh, I'm going to go from worst to best. Uh, Tombstone. I really only bought him because he's a Spider-Man rogue, and I'm collecting the Spider-Man rogues. There's nothing to that figure except... It's a, it's a big guy who looks like The Undertaker, and he's, he's very obviously meant to be an Undertaker homage. Uh, Mysterio. I really wanted to like the figure. However, the way they did the cape and the dome really annoys me. It's one piece, and it pegs into the back, but it's not glued in. So it's anytime I try to mess with him, it falls off. And... The skull face they did underneath the dome is cool, but I wish it was a different color plastic from the dome so that you could more clearly see it when the dome is on. Um, Doc Ock. Again, I really wanted to like this figure, but the main kind of feature of this character is let down in this because the arms, I thought they were going to be like that bendy wire sort of thing. No, they're just rubber that's stuck in this pose, and you can kind of bend them into another one. You could probably do the boiling water into the freezer trick to get them into a different pose, but 
as it is, they're kind of stuck in the pose they come in out of the box. And I and I know there's like third party arms and a mod you can do and all this stuff to improve the arms. However, that doesn't fix it out of the box. Out of the box, those arms aren't great. And uh, when you're making a Doc Ock figure, you really got to do something good with the arms. Like, either put a bendy wire in there or make them jointed. So that that's my whole thing. Uh... Otherwise, otherwise, it's a really solid figure, though. I like I like the actual human body. It's a it's a good uh, new buck that they can use for things. Is it the classic chubby Doc Ock? It is. Uh, okay, that's cool. Let me see if I can find a picture of it real quick. See, the only thing is right now, I just really want a Sleepwalker Marvel Legends figure, but that's probably never gonna happen. Yeah, nice. Yeah. The only problem is that's the only pose those arms can do out of the box. You gotta, like, do a mod to make them poseable. And from what I've read, it's kind of an expensive mod, so I'm not super, super keen on doing that just yet. Um, the Green Goblin! Uh, I would call this frustratingly almost good. Like, it's, it is good on a conceptual level. However, I had a few problems with it that I think are a figure-to-figure thing. Um, mainly that the hands won't stay pegged in on mine. I have to have the wrists pointed sort of up. Otherwise, they'll just instantly fall out. Uh, something about the plastic tolerances does not work on mine. Um, also, the glider could have been a little bigger. Uh, it, it looks it looks kind of small. Um, Which era goblin is it though? It's classic goblin. Yeah, the gl- the glider in the classic goblin was always kind of small though. That's true. It's just uh, in my head. Uh, it's the classic green goblin, but with a big ass uh, glider. I mean, the first appearance of goblin, he only had a broom. I always forget that shit. Um, Here's a picture of Gobby. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you had him like in a in a with a stand and the thing pointed a little bit more, so it's kind of like a V. That's about what it looked like in the classic '60s comic. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Is just that I don't have access to a good stand for it yet. But like with a stand and him kind of crouching over, holding a bomb in one hand, mm-hmm. head tilted. Yeah, that's a good figure. Yeah. Uh, the 80 Years Deadpool, which is basically their classic Deadpool, but with a more metallic paint job. Um, I I didn't really have any preference on which version of Deadpool I was going to get at Retro ToyCon. I just knew I was getting a Marvel Legends Deadpool, so that one was the cheapest one there, and it also happened to be the newest version of Deadpool. So I was like, yeah, I'll grab that. And uh, it's a really solid little figure. Um, like... It's it's kind of hard to do a bad Deadpool figure. So there's there's not much I could say except like everything you would expect from a Marvel Legends Deadpool is here. Do um, Spider Man add pouches? Yep, and he's got he's got uh, two Uzis, a big ass rifle, a pistol, and his two katanas. The only thing he's missing is a chimichanga, which I think came with the original release of this figure. 
Um, but I'm fine not having the chimichanga. And then uh, Invincible Iron Man, which is based off of the recent Brian Michael Bendis run. Um, I bought it just because it's a comic Iron Man figure with a Tony Stark head, but it's very clearly styled after movie Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. So it's a nice halfway between the two. Well, I mean, um, RDJ, uh, not RDJ, Tony Stark in the comics has looked like RDJ since 2008, so. Yeah. Um, uh, I really fucking like this figure. I was surprised at how much I like the figure. It can do just about everything you want an Iron Man figure to do. Uh, the Tony Stark head does not look awkward on it at all. Um, Are you able to do the hold the helmet pose? He, he does the hold the helmet pose. He does the Iron Man landing pose. Um, he has re- removable hands and effects parts. So you can do repulsor blasts. Those hands also peg into his feet, so you can pose him like he's flying. Um, he comes with a big-ass arm cannon that I think he uses in that book. But I like it just because it reminds me of the 6-inch Iron Man 2 figures, which I had a couple of when I was younger. Um, and you can clip that onto his arm. It doesn't damage the paint at all, and it's not a spring-loaded missile, but the effects parts where a pulsar blast can go in there. It's just a super versatile little figure with perfect articulation. Um, like, it's not going above and beyond, but it's not also not lacking anything. It's just exactly what you want out of an Iron Man figure, especially if, like me, you're a fan of both the movie and the comic versions of the character. Um, so would highly recommend picking that thing up. Uh... Then I opened two Poundgers Lightning Collection two packs. Uh, do you want to go with the super cool one or the uh, the more recent one first? End on the high note. Okay. Uh, Lost Galaxy and Psycho Red. Uh, pretty cool. Um, it's nice having a different uh, team getting represented because it's uh, we haven't gotten any other Lost Galaxy figures except for um magna defender but he's he's a very different animal from a ranger figure so it's it's nice to have that one head sculpt's pretty solid uh and uh i i really like how the uh the quasar saber turned out and the flame effect for it is banger uh basically you could put everything i said about psycho blue on psycho red the only difference is he has a sword instead of an axe um and then I got, in a moment of weakness, I caved and bought on Amazon because it, it was on sale for a really good price during the, the Christmas season. Mighty Morphin Red and Zeo Gold t- SDC exclusive two-pack. The Ooh. Double Jasons. Um, Zeo Gold is pretty solid. It's about everything you'd want out of that figure. It's a little awkward to pose him just because there's not as much cool stuff as you can do with the staff as you could with, like, a sword or a gun. Um, But it works. Uh, Armored Mighty Morphin Red, I don't like it as much as I like the single-pack non-armored red and the, uh, the Walgreens exclusive armored black. Something about this version just doesn't quite sit right with me. 
just doesn't quite work. Um, it's it's nice to have it. It looks good on the shelf, but uh, posing it around wasn't as good as I thought it'd be. Um, and both both of the Jason head sculpts that come with that, because you get two different ones. You get one where he's smiling and one where he's kind of being like a stern leader type. They're both okay. Uh, they're not perfect, but they look enough like the show that you're like, yeah, that works. Um, nice. Picked up the 13th Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver because I saw it in on sale in Hot Topic for like uh, $15 off. And I was like, when am I going to see that price again? Uh, it's okay. It doesn't have nearly as many features as I'm used to a Sonic Screwdriver having. So it was a bit of a letdown in that respect. But I'm. it's like I'm super happy that I got it at this price because I feel completely satisfied with it for the $10 I paid. If I had paid $25 for this thing... I would be ranting my ass off at the lack of features. Um, it's okay, though. Also, I, I need to go and track down the 12th Doctor Sonic Screwdriver now because I, I completely skipped that one because I didn't like the design and I wanted him to stick with the Sonic sunglasses. Um, opened a bunch of uh, JLU figures. Uh, the Superman with the better articulation. Uh, Black Canary, Sandman, Star Sapphire, Jon Stewart with the better articulation, and Fire and Ice. Um, not really much you can say about those. They're just nice little statues of those characters with basic-ass articulation. Uh, probably my favorite out of all those is Black Canary, just because I love Black Canary and Green Arrow and Justice League Unlimited. They are one of my favorite uh, pairings of that show, so it's nice to finally have their figures. Um, and then, uh, the other thing I got for Christmas from my parents, I got the entire first wave of the Diamond Select Avatar The Last Airbender figures, um, which consists of season three, or, yeah, it is season three, Aang and Zuko, and season one slash season two, Katara. Um, don't know why they went with that assortment, especially because we still haven't gotten an announcement for what Wave 2 is going to be or if we're even getting a Wave 2. Uh, but uh, they're okay. Uh, they're not the most poseable figures in the world. They feel a little awkward in some spots. But as representations of these characters, they're pretty good. And they're certainly way better than the toy line we got when the show was actually on the air. Because there was a short-lived one during season one, and uh, I had the Zuko from that line, and it was not a great figure. Um, and uh, what was... Oh, um, doesn't seem like there's any reused parts on them except for maybe one or two hands. Uh, because they're all different heights. Um, they've all got a lot of specifically molded clothing and body parts, um, like rubber things going over them, um, just because of the way the outfits in that show work. And uh, also, I was messing around with them, and I was like, I know I can't put Aang's hands on anybody else because he has his tattoos, but could I put uh, one of Zuko's hands on Katara because they have swappable hands? And it doesn't work. Because they actually paid really good attention to detail and gave each figure a different skin tone, which I thought was super cool. You don't see that in toy lines too often. 
Um, and uh, then the last thing uh, this week, which was also the final thing from Retro ToyCon, uh, the DC Direct 1-6 scale deluxe classic Supergirl, which is a very odd figure for me. Um, just because I'm not into 1-6 scale stuff. I've never felt any need to get into that except for maybe one or two Hot Toys when I was younger and couldn't afford them. Um, so I, I really only bought this because A, it's a Supergirl, and B, I found it at the con and I didn't know that existed. Like, I've, I've done tons of research into Supergirl merchandise and like just been like, ooh, I want to get that, ooh, I want to get that. Um, I'd never seen this thing before, so I was kind of like, well, it's here, and it looks pretty good. I should just go ahead and grab it, so I did, and I only just, yes, not yes, yeah, it was yesterday. I, I opened it, and as a first experience with a 1-6 scale figure, I can see why people like these. On, However, I don't think I'm going to touch this thing very much. Like, just the way it's made and with all the actual cloth parts interacting with joints, I'm super scared of getting something hooked on a joint and, like, tearing the outfit to shreds. Um, especially because she's, wear she's wearing what I think is supposed to be stockings. Um or just, like, flesh-toned cloth on her legs to hide the joints. Uh, but anytime you move her legs, like, it almost gets caught in there, and it's it's terrifying to do so. So I kind of just messed with her for a minute, took out her accessories, see what they were like, and then put her on the stand, put her with the other Supergirls, and it's like, I'm not touching this anymore. Uh, I do really like the streaky she came with, uh, probably the best streaky figure I've seen so far. Um, and her accessories are something you can use with pretty much any figure, uh, so that's nice. She comes with, like, a, a metal chain and a girder with a bendy wire in it, so you can do the whole, like, bending steel Superman-Supergirl pose with the figure. Um, and she has swappable hands, but I'm probably never gonna swap those hands out. Uh, it's cool to have those accessories for props now, though. And that is everything I did this week. So, Chris, one last time, before the end of the year, at least for us, I'm sure this is probably a few weeks into the year for them, <laughs> why don't you tell everyone who you are and where your shit's at? I'm Chris Boinger, writer guest, and I do video editorials on the YouTube. Uh, you can find me at my channel, Boingo Writer. Uh, link to that is probably in the description. Speaking of links in the descriptions, there's one for my Twitter at Boingo underscore writer and Instagram, Boingo underscore writer. Uh, you can join my Discord server. A link to that. Guess where it's at? This is on my face. This is this, this description. description. Mm. That makes more sense. Well, I am Simeon the Vacuuminator Scott. I'm a toy reviewer. I review toys on the tubes of you. Uh, currently, I'm doing a series of GoBots reviews, and uh, I'm also about to do my top 10 toy finds of 2019. So be sure to check those out over on my channel, youtube.com slash the Vacuuminator, V-A-C-U-U-M-I-N-A-T-O-R. 
And you can follow me on the social media, Twitter and Instagram, at The Vacuuminator. And that'll do it for this episode of Analytical Fanboys. We hope you have enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please consider subscribing to the Modular Media channel and getting access to all our videos as they come out. Also, don't forget to ring that bell so you really know when stuff comes out. And if you want to listen to the show on the go, download MP3s from the Google Drive folder linked in the video description. You can also follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our subreddit for updates on the podcast as it's happening. That's the Twitter, which is our or the Twitter, which is at the modular media and the uh, subreddit, which is r slash modular media. However, as I'm starting to stumble over my words, I think that'll do it for this episode. So we will see you next time when we'll be discussing Only a Lad by Oingo Boingo. Writer. Oh!